0: Good morning. It is morning. Yes, good morning. In conference you never quite know what day it is or what time of the day it is eventually, but it just all blurs into one. Wonderful to see you. Great to be in the Harvest House with George and family and mum. We go back a long way. You know, we're most famous for Ian and Roseanne is it? We saw 911 out together, 9 /11 out together. They were staying with us when the planes went into the buildings and got stranded with us, right? for a week, extra week before they could fly. Roseanne wasn't keen on flying after that. She looked at us every morning, "I'm not getting on that plane. "Well, we love you, Roseanne, but we're getting you on the plane somewhere out there." <laughs> somewhere out there. So Events of life bring people close together, huh? But we, we love you, Rosanna, so glad to be here. And of course, George and the family. Last time I was here, we had the wonderful privilege of setting in Elder here, and so it's been great to be involved with that. And Julian and Cardi, what a treat you guys are, so special. So it's When you get my age, and you can look back, or my years, when you can look back to kids that were around you know I always smile when we come down it got mentioned in the conference the other day but Aloysius or Musi, who heads up the DA down here now it's funny we go back so far I can remember holding him and his wife in my arms before they were married to pray them through to the father heart of God you know so it is amazing life isn't it how the kids grow up in the youth and then they begin to do things and And all of a sudden you look at them and there they go and I must hurry for I'm their leader. (laughs) Right, George? When they start to get ahead of you and uh, the reaper overtakes the sower and all the stuff we're talking about. What a day to be alive in. Just got to make sure I don't get sidetracked into my conference message that I've got to share in another hour. But just, it's a little bit the same, but just to to share out of. But I just want to share a little bit with you this morning just about this wonderful day in which we live in. When we get into the conference, I'm going to shift a little bit from where some of the speakers have been because we've been sharing a lot about our role and advancement in our role, but I actually want to share later in the morning on where is the kingdom itself advanced to? This is an advancing kingdom we live in. And where's that advanced to on the earth today? Where are we? We all know... Uh, um, We're in an incredible moment in history. I don't believe we've ever been in a moment of history like this one. And I might just say a little bit of that this morning, but just just to encourage you really as a house, as a church here, as an expression of what God's doing on the earth. Why is he doing it? What's happening? Where are we in this advancing kingdom on the earth? You see, the scripture that molded our life many years ago was out of That scripture where it said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, etc. That's where we understood uh, years ago when God brought us into the fatherhood understanding because in that scripture when I saw that Isaiah saw Jesus remembered as an everlasting father, not as an everlasting son, that changed my life forever. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he shall be wonderful counselor, prince of peace, etc., everlasting father, so I trace through, I spent a lot of time in my life tracing through the journey of Jesus going from being a child to being a son to being a father. And where in that kingdom that he was going to father and release and all of that, where are we today with it? What are, what's our expectation? What are we looking to? You're looking to heaven or a coming kingdom? Church is being reformed around us, reshaped. The wineskin's moving. It's altering very quickly on the planet. I was sitting with a group of apostolic leaders and prophets and others were sitting in a theatre just three or four weeks ago, just watching that movie, um, uh, (laughs) Paul, the Apostle of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. And as we sat watching that movie, if it comes here to town, make sure you go to see it, very powerful movie. And it's a story of Luke tracking Paul down, really, finding him in prison. The whole story is about the last little bit of life of Paul in prison when he began to write. And, and Luke tracks him down, finds him in a, a very terrible situation, really. Rome was in a terrible situation. You see, sometimes when we talk about early church and kingdom and things like that, we, we, we still see it through our Western mindset. We still see through unreality, really. We still see it through how we live life. But when Luke eventually got to Rome looking for Paul and the only lights in the streets at night were Christians burning live on stakes to light up the streets so the Romans could walk, you realize there's a tremendous cost to apostolic life, prophetic life, and what's really happening on the earth. We sort of think, we read scriptures around it and think they're all sitting around living our Western lifestyle, exciting, living in the prosperity of the West and all that kind of thing. They were under incredible pressure. And he eventually gets into the home of uh, Aquila and Priscilla. And the church in the house is operating out of there. It's under incredible persecution. And Luke gets in there on his way trying to get into prison to see Paul. He loved Paul like a dad. And he was trying to get there, and uh, eventually the whole story goes on. Um, you'll weep your way through some of it, but uh, it's still worth it. But you um, get to that point at the end where it begins to happen, and Paul begins to tell, write the letters and some of those things with Luke. Luke got permission to be in there and scribe some of them. And some of It's just really good. And then his his, his prison guy, the guy who's responsible for him in prison, the main head guy, is talking, and Paul is obviously his influence is beginning to change life. And uh, in the end, this guy says to him, we're getting near the end of the movie, so I'm going to tell you the whole movie, but it's getting towards the end there. And this guy just says to Paul, you are really trying to convince me now. And Paul looks at him and says, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to convince you. I can't do that. But it's only a moment. It is Christ himself that will look upon you and shatter your defenses. And at that moment, you will understand that you are completely known by God and completely loved. We're sitting in all their apostolic lives. Some trying to get that quote because one had seen it for the third time. He knew the quote was coming. I guess, I don't know totally legally or what, but trying to get that quote in there. And uh, the next morning at the round table where we're sitting around, we just couldn't hardly get away from that quote. It's a moment. It only takes a moment. And we're in one of those defining moments on the earth right now incredible. And uh, you know there are many waves of the Spirit, there's many moves of the Spirit, but now and then there are seismic shift moments that alter things forever. And we're on the edge of one of those today. When I stood at uh, in Wittenberg last October, the 500 years anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, I had um, been in a little town called Magdeburg just up the road in East Germany, what was East Germany, I ministered there quite a bit over the last few years, in that area of Germany a mega church is about 25 people. (laughs) Now put that in context with you because it really is, from there up in that part of Germany is the greatest atheistic area of the world, they say, where there's no belief in any God. And understand that Magdeburg was the first town that Luther ever went to or one of the first ones, after the Protestant Reformation began. Very moving kind of a a place. It's only an hour and a quarter off from Wittenberg where the Luther thing happened. And um, when Luther went went there, the mayor called him to come. And as the mayor called him to come of the town, that's all those 500 years ago, as the mayor called him to come, it was because there was riots in the streets, there was great difficulties... The church was fairly ineffective, uh, the Catholic church at that time. And it was, you know, obviously all Catholic there then. And uh, so the mayor calls Luther to come and he preaches, teaches. The actual church he ministered in, you can go and stand outside. There's a statue of Luther there, of course, and just get caught in the moment a little bit. It's good sometimes to do that. And uh, But as Luther began to minister, the whole town... The whole city of Magdeburg got saved. In a moment, really. So we talk about the increasing kingdom and we measure it by our past experiences. Well, if we get a few saved here, a few saved there or something, but what if we get a moment? The Bible says in Isaiah, this kingdom will know nothing but increase and the zeal of the Lord will perform it. Not our good ideas and methodologies and things, they can help, but... The zeal of the Lord, we have a zealous God that's performing something on earth and bringing it towards a huge climax right now. And uh, as I stood there in, that, in Magdeburg before I went down to Wittenberg, a little meeting, about 25 people asked me to come and do three days on the Father, Heart of God. And in the, in the meeting, there was, I think there was, yeah, they were there from Iran, they were there from Iraq, the Syria, India few from Germany, and in this packed-out crowd of 25. <laughs> and it was exciting. The Holy Spirit, of course, began to move, and a little Iranian man came out to see me. A young, young guy he came out with his beanie on, and he stood there, couldn't speak English, really, and we we're t- talking through three or four lots of translation to get through to one that's there. Uh, some were refugees, of course, and others were there studying. This little man came up to me, young guy, just in his, I would imagine, his mid-20s there with his wife, and, and I had a prophetic word over her, and uh, once you get that in, in, through three or four different languages and things, and she gets hold of it and God meeting her. And he came, and he stood in front of me through translation at the end, and he, he tried to say in his broken way but through the thing, he said, I'm only new to this. But he said, when you talked about God is my father... My heart just warmed within me. I thought, it's such a simple gospel we've got. Such a simple gospel. But as that night was going on, there was a young Indian girl there. She was doing a PhD, and, um, or some extra studies, from, as I said, from India. She came up to me after the third night, and she said, you know, I got baptised here two weeks ago. I was Hindu. And she said, Three times I went to a Christian church in India while I was there, before I come over to do the studies, just to see if there was anything in Christianity. And she said it was all so legal and so hard, and so I just couldn't get it. But she said, sitting here for three days, I met my dad. I can go back to India now and carry his heart to my nation. Highly intelligent. This is not a complicated gospel. The battle's going to end up over the very way that the battle started. It's going to be a battle over fatherhood. That's a cry for the nation. It's a home for the orphans. It's rescuing the people. Do you know 26 of the last 27 mass killings in the USA were brought about by a fatherless person? 26 out of the last 27 mass killings. And we live with them fairly regularly. Most of them don't even get reported. 26 out of the 27. And we still try to make church operate around legalisms and rules and regulations and control and pressure. And there's a loving dad just reaching out. But there's a moment, it's a wonderful moment. When I went to Wittenberg, I'm standing there outside the doors where, where um, Luther put his 95 theses there on the door, it's all engraved in the door now and most likely it was on many doors of the campus when he actually did it because the doors of a university in those days were like notice boards really, it's where you hammered everything that was going on. But I stood outside there and as I stood there looking at it with a a German friend who took me down, a wild evangelist in Germany, we were just standing there together. And as I was just looking at it, it wasn't so much. You know, I'd gone the building where Luther preached and tried to get up into his pulpit, but they wouldn't let me, and those kind of things. But, you know, it was just, it's a beautiful town. It's called Lutherstadt now, which is like Luther's town. But um, as I was just standing there, it wasn't so much even the Protestant Reformation that really grabbed me. It was the power of a moment. The just shall live by faith. And the world changed. See, Christians get blessed and things happen through many waves of the Spirit that move. But when there's a seismic shift of God, the world shifts. Something changes that we're never the same again from. And could we be on the edge of another one of those? We are. I believe it with all my heart. And I haven't got time this morning, but... A little bit more than next time with the um, delegates, but just to where are we, why that, that, that moment of revelation? do you realize up to that moment, there'd only been three churches: there'd been the church at Jesus' birth, of his kingdom heart, and um, that came there, the church that was the government of the kingdom, and um, to be the government, the ecclesia, and then all the synagogue, the, the fellowship of believers. So all that got underway and that went all the way through really to uh, what happened to the destruction of that in about 317 AD, what we call the Constantine era, where step by step Constantine began to dismantle the very thing that Jesus had started. Started to move it from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of the church and when that began to happen, things began to get taken away. Certain things in economics, certain the way church met. They uh, embraced the pagan systems of the day, took over big buildings, put it up pulpits up very high so people were about a hundred meters away from contradiction. And the whole uh, thing was uh, was happening. Locked uh, uh, people away. People were no longer allowed to meet in homes or small groups or so that became illegal. Took first fruits out of giving to bring it back to just tithes and offerings because anything in God is always threefold, and I won't go into that today, but you've got to understand that if you understand what's about to be released on the earth. But I'll get to that a bit later, if I do. Ten o'clock at least. But um, all that, you know, um, was going on in that Constantine era, and for the first time ever since Jesus released his sons to establish this thing we call the kingdom, or that, that next stage of it at least, For the first time, people could be Christians without being born again. All you had to do was become a citizen of Rome. All you had to do was live in a Christian country, so-called, because they embraced it as a state religion. And so the experience of God went out and so Greek mentality began eventually to take over the world more than the Hebrew mentality and so to know about God became life eternal rather than to know God was life eternal. So knowledge became the search. And in there, of course, it took us down the path into the Dark Ages. All those paths, 1,200 years really. All the way through that time, God kept a tremendous apostolic flow in his heart. Men like St. Patrick that went through Scotland, through Ireland, through all those areas, had tremendous apostolic life. One of the things that's worth studying in your life, i have just one of my closest friends has written a movie script on it, but one of the um, most powerful things is to study the life of St. Patrick because God's never allowed there to be a time in history without at least a thread of the apostolic and prophetic flowing through it because the kingdom, the church, everything is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, not pastors and teachers. And so that thread had to always be there if it was going to shift nations and all these things that we talk about in these days. But we slipped into the Dark Ages, and then in that time, this wonderful moment happened in this little town called Wittenberg in Germany when a young Catholic priest receives a revelation... The just shall live by faith. See, up to then, there had been the early church, the transition right through, then the Roman church. The Roman church had a breakaway in the Orthodox church, really. So there would only been really what was the original church, the the Roman Catholic church eventually, and the Orthodox church. You know, since that moment when he received that revelation, there's been over 57,000 denominations released on earth. Some for good, some for bad. Apostolic friend of mine wrote an article around this time of the Reformation. Was it worth it? Was it really worth it? Wars, broken nations, mass slaughters, all kinds of things came as a result. It wasn't all just positive. When the Holy Spirit moves, it's messy. When the Holy Spirit moves, every spirit moves. It's always challenging. That's why we're not too keen on Seismic shifts, things that shift us forever. Did that Luther happen? The restoration process began to happen. And when that process began to happen, something began to build. And as it began to build, there became an acceleration. We began to teach this message in Church of the Nations back in 19, about 83, because in South Africa... Our work of cotton started here when a young man, Ron Robertson, and his wife, out of Johannesburg, one daughter then, Kimi, set out on a journey because they were in a meeting in Johannesburg as Methodist. He was a Methodist lay preacher, and they heard a guy from the States who became very close friends with ours in the early birthday, birth season of Church of the Nations, and he brought this message. And Ron heard him teach it how to live church in a new way. Now understand, back then, it wasn't like it is today. You know, some of us old enough like me, we can remember back. I'm one of the privileged generations on the earth because I was alive and was able to get going in ministry the last time there was a seismic shift of God on earth hasn't been one. There's been many waves, many moves, many wonderful times. But the last seismic shift, really seismic shift, particularly in Western culture, that shifted us and moved us was 50 or 60 years ago. We call it the Charismatic Renewal or the Jesus People Revolution. It was an incredible time in history. And allowed to be alive there, then allowed to be alive this time when another one is happening to help father another generation to do this one. is a wonderful privilege of life, isn't it? I mean, it can't get any better than that. And, um, but in that shift, and that which was beginning to happen, as, a, as that back in 500 at the Protestant Reformation, there began this move of restoration. It's very important if you're going to know where we are in world history and where we are in kingdom history right now, where we are right now, what's happening on the earth, you've got to somehow be able to grasp a biblical worldview that sees where we've come from, where we're traveling, and where we're going. We live much more in our Western culture of the instant moment. We move on from, we don't build upon. We have a revelation, then we have it, we live in it for a year, then we get another revelation and try to live in that. But the kingdom builds upon Line upon line, precept upon precept, foundation upon foundation. And when something began to get renewed, restored back there through Luther, something began to happen that if you trace it over 500 years, up to October last year at least, you can pick up the speed of how the restoration process has happened through history. It's wonderful. Early it was like 100 years apart. Then it got to 50 years apart. Then a few years apart. If we had time, I could run through the whole thing with you. But we teach it on our kingdom series and all those kinds of areas. But we began to teach that message way back in 82 because when Ron arrived with us, eventually he he heard that message and then he went on a trip. He said, God, I need to find what it means today... Left his carpet business, his wife and himself and little child got a vehicle, traveled through America, and I don't know why, but someone said to them, you're not going to find what you're looking for till you meet a guy called Tony Fitzgerald in England. We just started the first little work that eventually became cotton, about 20 people or so, and Ron arrives there some months after his journey got underway. He walked into a little men's meeting in a pizza restaurant down in Crawley, and uh, and. Uh, he wandered in and said, I'm Ron Robertson. I said, I'm Tony Fitzgerald. He said, I've come a long way to meet you. And he and his wife moved in with us. And uh, and Kimmy, they moved in with Maron and I for a few weeks. And in that time, we just rediscovered church. Thinking and praying it through, and he put a book out with us in it. Eventually, he went back to South Africa and said, when someone else is joined with us, we'll send for you. And... Uh, a few weeks went by, then Ron contacted said, I've got another couple added to me. We're flying you down. So Mara and I went down, and that started our love relationship with this wonderful country. And a uh, handful of people gathered in the little upper room in his house, and after two weeks, we had 70 or 80 people thumping out there. The place was rocking and rolling, and the floorboards going like this. It was the 70s, you know. It was wild, and uh, it was bouncing like this, and... and you know, in the midst of it all, we're seeing miracles. Of a little kid got raised from the dead and that kind of thing, which helped kickstart us down here a little bit. And, um, you know, things just began to um, get going and move along. But in it, we began to look at this very subject. 1950s, uh, I mean, in the 1500s, Martin Luther got restored, the justification by faith, the authority of scriptures. Same time, the Anabaptists were raised up. Why? Because if God, the Bible says, it's got, heaven's got Jesus held back like a racehorse, really. We have the picture of a horse. And I like all the picture of these horses, but I want to say this to you, we're really waiting for the sound of just one. A white one. Amen. It's going to be tremendous. This is for us, these horses, but there's one that we're waiting for. And the, the Anabaptists began to, to, to be, because they believed in, Water baptism. Can you believe like every part of restoration has cost blood? Everything God's restored has been on the back of martyrs. Not just us getting blessed. Because always in Jesus' heart, and I want to say this really careful to you because I know the day we live in, I know where we are, and I love it. I'm a, I'm a part of it with every, everything about it. But I want to tell you this, you and I are not the centre of the cross. There was a king. And praise God, he died for us and all that, which is really incredible, and I'm so very thankful. But I want to tell you that moment on the cross, something bigger than me was happening. And something bigger for him was happening than me. Praise God, it included me, but I wasn't the focus of it. He was here doing something far bigger. He wasn't here just to prepare people to go to heaven. He was releasing a heaven to earth and destroying Satan's rule of the earth that had been usurped by Satan. And when he cried from the cross, it is finished, he wasn't declaring, my sin problem was finished, he was declaring to the heavens and under the heavens and everywhere else, Satan, your rule of the earth is finished, Adam is back. Amen? So you've got to get it in perspective, otherwise you'll think all oh, this is about you. Amen or oh me? <laughs> Praise God, is about us as well. I'm very thankful for that. That's why I can rejoice when we sing these songs and just so bathe in the fact of his love and his pursuance of us is absolutely incredible. But I learned a long time ago, it's not just about me. I mean, I was used to work in Needle Park in Switzerland, start of the drug trail. Really, it came from Amsterdam, but in Switzerland before it went down to Kathmandu, biggest drug park in the world in the 70s and 80s. We used to go down there and work. It was called Needle Park at the end of the Bonnerstrasse in Zurich. The government would get over 10,000 clean needles out every night. We were working down there just for second fixes, so no one got disease. I used to sit there some nights, drug addicts everywhere. Everywhere. It was a freaky place, really, Needle Park. But when you got tired a bit, you go and you sit on the edge, just on the end of the Bonhoeff or the railway station, at the end of the wealthiest shopping street in the world, then the Bonhoeffstrasse in Zurich. All the banks, all the money, all the laundered money, everything else. I sit there with my feet hanging over a rock, because two rivers meet right behind the railway station. And I'd reflect on this. Because it was a time when those rivers both ran red with the blood of the Anabaptists. Put to death and slaughtered because they believed in water baptism. Every bit of restoration took incredible sacrifice. Martyrs. Wish I had time to unpackage some of this with you. But if we don't get it, not that I'm looking for bad times, but if we don't get it, we're never going to see this final seismic shift, really. It's right there. He's held back like a racehorse, waiting, the Bible says, to the restoration of all things. And when you go through, as the restoration process went on, the separation of church and state came through the Anabaptists, community, church being a family, not being an organization. In the 1650s, 150 later, years later, God raised up George Fox, Re established into the church the plurality of elders so church wouldn't happen with one man leadership. I tell you, God restored it all, but for man to shift to believe it's restored is another whole story. But step by step, it got restored as it went through. Then the priesthood of all believers, the Pietists were raised up in the 1600s, holiness, then the Moravians came in the 1700s. God restoring, first 24 7. Prayer was re-established back into the world right back as early as the 1700s. 99 years or 101 years, depending which report you, you read, was the length of the prayer meeting without a break. 24-7 for either 99 or 101 years. In there came the zeal for foreign mission and for reaching the nations of the world that this church had to get out of the building. Not just being restored now. It's being restored. We've just got to make sure everything restored we live in. Imagine what it was like, the Moravians, those two young men standing on the dock of the shore, sold their lives out for the gospel to slavery, knowing that it was a slave plantation, that the only way anyone could ever reach them with the gospel was another slave, because no Christian witness was allowed on that plantation. They sold themselves out as slaves, and with the money that they got for it, they uh, w- was their transportation to get there. Never to leave, to be slaves sold as slaves to be there so they could be yoked and harnessed with another slave and share Jesus with them. As they were leaving Europe on the boat to go down, family, friends were gathered on the dock. They were shouting out, why are you doing it? Why the sacrifice? And one of them put his arm around the other, cupped his hand around his mouth and shouted back to the shore so that the lamb that was slain Might receive the due reward of his sufferings. I'm not going for the slave. I'm going for the king. See why you're still focused around the need- meeting, self-centered Christian life. You haven't yet seen the kingdom. Do you understand? All of us are part of it. Don't get me wrong. It's not either or, but it's the kingdom. Something bigger happening. Then prayer, the the class system, not classes, but small group, came through Wesley. And probably in the Wesley era in the 1700s came the next great seismic shift. It changed the way church was going to be and changed it for a century or more. It altered patterns of worship. Wesley and then Booth that followed and others in, in Britain and out from there. If you ever have an opportunity and you're in Savannah, Georgia... It's well worth to go and look at the, at the memory of Wesley in Savannah, Georgia, because in Savannah, Georgia, Wesley, for a, a time, was the chaplain to the government of the state of um, Georgia, and was on the way back to England from one of those trips as a chaplain to the governor that he met the Lord and got saved, really. So down there, he always marks it, and Wesley writes, the Methodist church really had two beginnings, in England and in a house in Savannah, Georgia, when a group... Of believers began to meet there and that all got birthed afresh um, in the USA. And so these moves you know went on and through and then we can trace it right through how quick it began to and it doesn't take long to come up to where you realize the age that many of us have lived through. And I'll go in a bit more detail as I said later on that but it's, it's like there's something hastening, it's quickening. Every time God breathes, something's happening. The difference now than back to all that that I mentioned to you and how you know we're almost at the final great moment is an incredible thing, really. Because now, every time, there's a shift, and this one is going to be a major seismic shift that we're living in now. It's only the last... You could say 50, 60 years of shifts in history, where there's no man at the top of it. For years, it was the Luther, it was Wesley. This time, it's just a King, and his name is Jesus. You can't lock this one into a man anywhere. It's moldable. It's everywhere. It's in the east, more in the east than it is in the west. It's coming from the south, it's moving, it's shifting, as we are hearing again last night, but it's just all over now. Something's happening and there's a cry for the orphan. See, the great challenge in this moment of restoration that we're coming in, and we talk about, you know, the church leaving the building and getting out, it's, it's, it's what's going to be transformed in the inner part of us to bring in that great harvest. I've been locked in the last few months into just one scripture. I wasn't going to read it here, but I will. I'm going to wait till next meeting, but see you somewhere. I was sitting in an Assemblies of God church this Easter Sunday. Went with some friends. I wasn't doing anything that Sunday, and we went along. And I went to the gymnasium service of the Assemblies of God Church, one of the ones in our town. Is, they have different services at the same time, but for more younger people, they have one that meets in the gym, while the bit more traditional one's going on in the bigger building. So we were there, two or 300 out there in the gym, and, and um, I was the oldest one there, I'm sure. But uh, normally anywhere I am these days, I'm the oldest, so that's no <laughs> great problem. I go out to a restaurant, I look at Marilyn, I say, hey, uh, we're the oldest two people sitting here. And uh, she gets on my case. But um, we're sitting there, and they bring the Easter message. And then I went home and turned something on TV, and I was listening to a Baptist man share, uh, uh, share a message, and he was sharing this Easter message. And I'm sitting there, and they're all sharing out of this Scripture that I've been locked into for a year. Almost every other time in my life, if I hear an Easter message, They're sharing out of the tomb or Mary at the tomb or Jesus coming out or all all of that. It's about that. But everywhere on this Easter Sunday, I, I heard they were out of this scripture. And I thought, God, why? And it's because of what happened on Easter. It's beginning to shake and rattle the earth now. And everyone was teaching out of, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You read that chapter, it's the most passionate chapter about where we're living in in this seismic shift today. But I, I've gone through it in depth with all of our cluster. Our th- I've, in the last few weeks, I've travelled every part of the world where we have the cluster called them all together just to share out of what's happened in Marilyn's life in the last 12 months, walking through this scripture and walking through the journey of what we see is happening on the earth around us. You see, there was a hope in that early church. And that hope in the early church wasn't to go to heaven. There was a hope of a resurrection, a physical resurrection. That was their hope. And Paul put it out so powerfully. Uh, New Living Testament says it this way, So you see, Just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. And just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised. Think about that. What do you think about when you think about the resurrection of the dead? It's incredible, really. It so captivated me recently again. Because that's where it's going to climax here on earth, Paul said here. but There's an order. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. There's going to be a raising of the dead when he comes back. We don't think about it much. We don't even talk about it much because mostly our mentality of Christianity is being saved to go. There's a little bit more to it than that. See, the picture we have without thinking it through is we die, we go to heaven, then Jesus comes back, we get raised from the dead so he can take us back to heaven. That seems a bit of a futile event. We might as well just stay there. What is it? What is it that's going to happen? All who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come. What end? You've got to think these things through, people. It's not talking about the end of the earth. It's talking about the end of an age. And that end of age of restoration that we've mentioned a little bit of today, but we can trace it right through to this moment, that moment of restoration, the fullness of it, is going to happen right on earth, with us here, with our king. It's incredible, really, when you think about it. And then he says this, when, then the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to his father having destroyed every ruler, every authority, every power, for Christ must reign until he humbles all the enemies under his feet. There's coming a day when we will be alive with him to see the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. And there'll be a moment when holding that kingdom in his bloodstained hands, with us with him, we'll present it back to his father. And say, this is what you originally intended, Dad, when you put Adam and Eve on this place. Here it is, back complete. Come walk with us. Come talk with us. Come fellowship with us. See, what's your hope? The early church through all that before they ended up in the Constantine era and then down into the Dark Ages and what God began to restore, there was a hope of a resurrection. Some of them were sitting on mountains waiting, believing that Jesus was about to come and anyone that was around would be resurrected for God. Jesus demonstrated at his crucifixion and when he was raised from the dead, that's why the tombs opened and dead people got out. It wasn't just spiritual resurrection, it was a physical resurrection with resurrected bodies, ruling and reigning without limitation, with our king. You imagine. So I just want to encourage you today. What's your hope? Where are we? So I said it would take me a lot longer than this to go through the whole thing. But I just want to encourage you today. (laughs) Gets down to simple stuff in the end. Jesus created all this that we could live here in fellowship with our dad. Satan to destroy it did away or tried to do away with fatherhood. Jesus returned to teach us again how a son lives with a father. And there's a day coming when the whole restoration process has taken place and we have the privilege of training and raising up that generation for that ruling and reigning moment. What an incredible, what an incredible opportunity. What an incredible day. When Luke eventually got to Paul and they could begin to write the letters and they could say, just talk to me, Paul, I'll write it down. What are you really seeing, Danny? For Luke in the movie, it's like Paul was his dad, really, in many ways. He just couldn't wait to get to him. Broke through incredible stuff. For one little bit to be restored, rivers ran with blood. For us to see the ultimate restoration, there will be some cost to it. But praise God, we're up for it. But there's a king. It's a wonderful moment, we talk about acceleration, acceleration is not always as we've heard, always exciting, is it, for those who have been in the conference. Acceleration I've been accelerating with two sons through the liquidation of their companies, some foundations were wrong and God's pulling up to re-planned it doesn't mean it's the end of their journey it's just the beginning of it right but apostolic prophetic life is not just a band-aid or a plaster on a saw it's reshaping, remaking, remoulding raising up a generation that's waiting for the return of a king i just finish here by saying this much I was born and raised in evangelical church all my life. I'm a cancer survivor. At 17, 18, I had colon cancer. I was the youngest person in my state ever to have it. And I remember when I was waking up in the intensive care ward of the hospital after surgery, this thought in my mind, a moment, but this thought in my mind, is that all there really was? What if I had been born in another nation? Would I have been something else? Or am i Am only a Christian because I was born in a Christian environment, taken to church before I burped kind of thing? And you, knowing that Jesus came to give us meetings and give them to us more abundantly. And, you know, is it just that culture that I was raised in? If I had been born somewhere else, would I have been something else? And then not long after that, going up to pick up Marilyn, who was my girlfriend at that time, and... I'm every bit of 18 years old, and she's 15 years old, or so, and we've been going steady for quite a while. By then, it was the 60s, and uh, I was living in every, i was living in everything I preach against now. And now, well, the Bible says it's fun for a season. At least it was fun for a season. <laughs> Amen. But. Uh, picking up to go to the movies. And then I had my moment. Just driving along in the car. And for the first time in my life, 19 years old or something, I got a glimpse of the kingdom. Up to then, I had understood the gospel of salvation. I understood Jesus was my Savior, loved him, served him, went out to many older calls. I got saved so many times it was unbelievable. The preacher was good enough. I was out there, you know. <laughs> if the meeting was going too long, I, we were all out there because we were, we had youth leader and we needed to get the meeting over. But um, but many times with real right motives. And then driving along in the car that day, I saw Jesus talking about the marketplace, and I saw the kingdom through the marketplace. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl collector. Like a merchant. Oh, I thought the kingdom of heaven was like a church meeting. The kingdom of heaven was like a merchant. That one day, he saw a pearl of great price and saw all the pearls made a very intelligent, wise business decision and traded in his wealth to get thee wealth. And I sat in my car, no music, no anything, just me. I'm way to go to the movies, pick up Marilyn to go to the movies. As I sat there, I began to get a glimpse of the kingdom. All my life, I thought all Jesus wanted was my wrongs. From that day to this day, I've never I've preached at rock festivals, I've preached to thousands of people around the world, all kinds of things. Never ever asked anyone to give their sins to Jesus. You know why? Because last time he took it, it killed him. Why would he want it again? He died to get rid of your sin. The Bible says, Repent, turn from your sin. That sin's not the issue. Your wrongs aren't the issue anymore, it's your rights. And that day in the car, I saw God didn't want my wrongs. He wanted my rights. Right to Maryland, right to my home, right to my country, right to my career, right to my sports. And I realized I was going to live a life where the only rights I'd end up with was the right to have no rights. Because that day I saw a king. I'm appreciative of my Savior. But that day I saw a king. And when you see a king, can you be really careful when I say this? Don't throw your Bible at me because most likely it's electronic and it hurts. (laughs) But the paper one's okay. But I realized that day, even if heaven wasn't on the table, I'd still want to serve this king. Because I realized that day he was right and I was wrong. And he had a right to me. I wasn't giving him the favor by giving my life to him. Life turned around some corners on that journey. I just want to encourage you today without being able to give you all the stuff. We're on the edge of the greatest seismic shift the world has ever seen. And it's going to bring back a return of a king. King. So get ready. It's close. And all it will take is a moment. Just a moment. For you, just a moment. You could be sitting in this room right now and you could have a moment. Whether we prayed for you, whether we prophesied over you, ministered to you, whatever, there could be a moment. Just want to encourage you today. In those moments, let them take you somewhere. Because in a moment, one moment in a car, that's 50 years ago, and I'm still unpackaging what I saw in a moment in that car. First time I understood the Father heart of God. 50 years ago, I've taught on the Father, 40 years I've taught on the Father heart of God. You know what I realized 40 years on? Simply this. In all the big miracles, I see his power. In the little things, I see his fatherhood. Amen.